Deuteronomy 5. And really the heart of this morning is, is just simply in verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 and 7. Let me read these two verses and then pray. Verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Bow with me. Father, deal bountifully with your servants that we may live and keep your word. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. By your grace in your Son, amen. Okay, so we, we go back uh, to our normal routine for catechism sermon on the first Sunday of the month. We, we skipped last Sunday, if you happen to catch that, or last month. Um, and if you recall, we are going starting today going through the Ten Commandments. So it's going to be, I think, a pretty eventful 2024, considering we're going to spend the majority of the year, the first Sunday of every month, focusing on a commandment. Um, out of the Ten Commandments. And hopefully that will inform us throughout the rest of the month, throughout the rest of the year. Um, and I just want to have a reminder, because I, I don't do this enough. Um, parents, actually adults, when we come together as the body, we come together with little ones next to us, from month old to teenager. Uh, we come with the expectation of worship. Here's what I don't want you to think. That worship is being undistracted and having your devoted attention upon this place right here. Um, Because even without kids, you can't do that. Trust me, I understand that. We have a hard time staying attentive even when it's just us. But here's what I want us to understand. That our raising... Showing, giving example, and even disciplining our children as we sit together as a body in worship is a part of our worship. You understand that? It is worship. It is submission and obedience to God to raise your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It is no distraction, but it is, this, it is a simply a part of our worship the sounds of our worship in the same sense that our singing is a part of our worship. Kids, so that means we want you to pay attention, to be obedient, to trust what mommy and daddy says, that it's good to sit still and hear. But I want you also to understand that if you stray and fall short of being obedient to mom and dad, they love you enough to discipline you. And even that is good for you and worship for all. Okay? So we just have to make sure that that is clear. And people who don't have kids, 
understand the importance of what that means and understand that it is not a distraction, that it is not a problem, but it is a glorious thing that we teach our young ones to sit and hear and pray and praise. Okay? Just probably should just say that every now and then. I don't say it enough. So bless the Lord and all these families. Okay, catechism. I got to remind you why catechism? Why do this? Um, why? Why have to? I, I, I want you to put this stuff to memory. Um, but why? Well, here's the thing. Catechism is a way of training and teaching you. Here's the thing I need you to understand. If you, if you're not being catechized by the Word of God, you're being catechized by the world. Meaning, if you're conforming, if you're not being conformed to the Word of God, you're being conformed to the world. So it's our effort, our desire to train ourselves in the Scriptures, in the doctrines of God. Or you know what's going to train you? The TV, the radio, your coworkers. If you are not training yourselves in godliness. And the scriptures, you will be unknowingly becoming more like the world. So it's not it's not whether you're going to do it, whether you're going to be catechized or conformed. It's what are you going to be catechized and conformed by and to. Um, and then, okay, so then the next question we might think, but why the Ten Commandments? Why would we want to have to worry about? Putting those things to me. I mean, don't we already know them? Don't we already have them in our mind? Isn't it a little silly for us to spend uh, so much attention on the Ten Commandments? Well, if you go and read Deuteronomy, especially the first six chapters, maybe seven, where and the Ten Commandments are restated to the the young generation of Israel who's about to go into the the Promised Land. They're about to head in there, and and, and Moses is reminding them, setting forth the covenant that God had made with them. And he gives warnings and blessings based on the law and commandments of God. Here's a couple of warnings he gives. He says these words, Take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget. He also says, Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. So you have to understand, God didn't just randomly blow out Ten Commandments because he liked them. These Ten Commandments are, are like the intersection between God's nature and man's nature. They, they have an origin and a purpose and, 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 and come out of who God is. They tell you who God is. But it's also given to us because of who we are. Sinners. Fallen creatures, we need these specific commandments. There is a reason each word is given to us. Um, think about, if you just think about Hebrews 4, the, the, the law, the word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces deep into the inner person. The, the word of God, the law of God, diagnoses your heart. It says, this is the problem with your heart. But it also says, here's the prognosis. Here's the solution, right? So important. Uh, then you see the blessings that come out 
from in and around this section in Deuteronomy. If you keep the commandments of God, you will live. It may go well with you. So much at stake. The nature of God, the will of God, the way of God, life. Life. I, I read I read the prayer deal, out of Psalm 119. Deal bountiful with your servants that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. What comes out of law? Life. Worship. Obedience. I'm getting ahead of myself. One last thing before we look at this first commandment. But what about faith? Because it's, you know, you're talking a lot about law and obedience and doing this and doing that. Well, if you read uh, Hebrews 11, which is, you know, the chapter about faith, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So that, yeah, that's, that's, it is. But look what he says. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Believe that he exists. And reward those who seek. That, that is an expression of faith. And how do the Ten Commandments start? The acknowledgement of the existence of God. I am the Lord your God. An acknowledgement of his existence. The first commandment also tells us what we ought to do and we shall have no other gods before him. Seek Yahweh alone. Living by faith apart from the Ten Commandments is impossible. Living by faith in the one true God is impossible. It's okay, Tabitha. The pastor's phone said I'll learn it off earlier. Mine has, yeah, you're fine. It happens to all of us. So look at the back of your bulletin. I apologize. Half of you probably don't have the right back. And that was just, if you don't have the right back, you don't have the right questions. Um, but I pray you can just hear and hear and hear what they are. So it's two questions, really. Most of, as we go through the Ten Commandments in our catechism, most have three questions. Some have two. The first one has two. What is the first commandment and what is required of the first commandment? Well, the answer for question 43, what is required in the first commandment? And this is going to be our guide for this after, this morning. The first commandment requires us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God and to worship and glorify him accordingly. So we're going to focus on what it means to know and acknowledge. We're going to focus on what, that God is the only true God and that he is our God and that in, all, in and all through that we will have worship and glorify him. Let me I, I, let, let, let's, let's start let's start here. Know and acknowledge. The two things that this question, this answer says that we must know and acknowledge out of the first commandment, which is you shall have no other gods before me, is that we should know and acknowledge that Yahweh is the only true God, number one, and that he is our God, number two. Now, in order to know something, it must first be revealed. We've gone through that in Matthew uh, 
11, and we'll continue to see this, that God is making himself known. He made himself known to Adam. He made himself known to Abraham. He made himself known to Moses. Children, how did God make himself known to Moses? Spoke, but in the form of? A tree? Was it a, a tree with snow on it? The burning bush. That's right, Sammy. Good job. God is making himself known. God made himself known to Egypt. How did he make himself known to Egypt? Ten dreadful plagues. God has made himself known. And this is how he begins the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord Yahweh, his name, your God. He declares his name, but he also declares what he has done. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Of course, they've seen this. They've experienced this. And he begins this covenant with declaring who he is and what he do, what he's done. He says he is the one true God, the God of creation, the God of your fathers, the God who judges, the God who destroyed Egypt, who destroyed your masters, who redeemed you from slavery, who dried up the Red Sea, who brought water out of a rock, who brought bread from the sky Yahweh is the one true God. Now, why would he want them to acknowledge God as the one true God? Have no other gods before me. Well, they're leaving 400 years of being surrounded by many gods. Egypt, uh, the, the Egyptians had many gods. And even we know as the Israelites wandered away from Egypt, that reality that they were leaving many false gods did not hinder them from thinking about going back. But it wasn't just the back that Jesus or that God was thinking about, but he was also thinking about the future as he taking, takes them into Canaan into the promised land. How many gods do you think were wandering around in those nations? Many, many false gods. He is drawing it out for them that not only is he true, but he is the only one. And all other gods are false and will bring about deception. David declares this true knowledge. So I want you to understand that this is truth. This is knowledge. It's reality. It's fact. Knowledge. No. Information. There is one true God, Yahweh. David says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. And so you have to ask the question. You have to answer the question. Do you know God? Do you know that Yahweh, the God of the Scriptures, is the only true God? You must ask. Answer that question. But here's what I want you to also understand when it comes to knowing something. You also know that two plus two is four. But what significance does that make in your life? What impact, what transformation does that knowledge have? See, there's a difference between knowledge and what Brother Dan talked about this morning about knowing, intimate 
It's a divine knowledge. We talked about it in Matthew 11, a divine revelation, an uncovering of who God truly is. If your knowledge of God is equal to your understanding of two plus two is four, you do not know God as he commands you to know him. Many walk around that walk around this world with that type of knowledge. It was referenced this morning again in Sunday school. It is in their mind but has no divine impact on who they are. Pharaoh knew Yahweh. Right? He knew him. But he did not know him as his one true God. Pharaoh knew him knew him among many, including himself. Satan knows there is one true God. But what, what, but what other gods does Satan worship and glorify? Himself. So, yes, you must know. You must have the knowledge that God is the one true God. But real knowledge leads to acknowledgement. The catechism question says... The first commandment requires us to know and acknowledge. Know and acknowledge. Those aren't the same thing. That's why they're two different words. To know is something you possess. Truth, knowledge, it's there. To acknowledge is to make known what you know. The Oxford Dictionary says it's to accept or admit the existence or truth of something. Acknowledgement is taking knowledge to its conclusion a step further. To have knowledge and to acknowledge it, to me, sounds a lot like faith. To know and do. To believe and trust. Faith is to believe in your heart and to confess with your mouth, Romans 10. Faith is an internal knowledge that is, that is acknowledged outwardly. You, we asked the question a bit ago, do you know, do you believe that, that God is the one true God? But we've got to ask the second question, do you acknowledge it? <laughs> well, help me out, Luke. What does that look like? Well, it's in the question and answer. To acknowledge is to live a life of worship and glorifying God. When you know God and acknowledge him, people will examine your life and say, that man, that woman, that child lives to worship and glorify the one true God. And you could ask me again. What does that look like? How is that played out? Well, again, I want to emphasize that it surely begins with faith, and it can only begin with faith, trusting that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. But to help you understand this a little bit more, especially the words worship and glorify, I want to do a thought experiment with you. Imagine you wake up tomorrow and... There's one person in the world 
that is responsible for your life. Your breathing, your getting out of bed, your eating, your bathing, everything that you do in the bathroom. This person has to plug in a machine so that you can get oxygen. This person has to pull you out of bed. This person has to make your meals and feed you. This person has to wash you and clean you. You're completely incapable and you need this person (coughs) to live. How grateful would you be to that one person? Well, beloved, let me tell you, apart from the word of God, the existing power and word of God, you can do nothing. Breathe, eat, wake, walk, sleep, talk, think, whatever it is. All things are done and held together by the word of his power. You owe everything to Yahweh, the one true God. And if he stopped in an instant, you wouldn't wake. You couldn't breathe. On a side note, husbands, wives, parents, children, if you hold if you're holding on resentment to anyone in your family, Husbands and wives, if you're holding on resentment to something your spouse has done and you're just not sure if you can forgive them. Kids, if you're upset with your parents because they made you do that one thing that you didn't like, understand that there's something about your spouse or your parent or whatever that they are doing something for you. They are a part of your life in some capacity. In some capacity. And to dwell on something that they've done against you and to be unthankful for all that they do for you is to lead you to bitterness. When you forget the things you ought to be thankful for, that will lead you to be bitter. So, God keeps keeps us alive not only that he is our lord now if you go i we will we won't look at it for the sake of time but if you take your catechism question home these three passages outline to you what the life of a worshiper looks like one who truly knows and acknowledges that god yahweh is the one true god then I gotta ask one more question. How does Jesus fit into all of this? Again, another topic of conversation this morning. We could sit here and talk about God in a generic way all day, but we understand that we are Christians, and Christians are followers of Christ. How does Jesus fit into these commandments? Well, he said something in John 14 that was pretty interesting. He said, Believe in God, believe also in me. The thrust behind John 14 says you can't believe in God and not believe in Jesus. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, Jesus says at one point. He also says at another, he says, if if you knew God, you would accept me. 
And so it, it goes both ways. You see, Jesus is this... He's the key that unlocks the mystery. You go and read through Deuteronomy and the, the Old Testament, the, 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 the commandments, the sacrificial system, and, there, and you're like, there's, there's a piece missing. Is it just about doing these things, which I've realized I can't do? Is it just about killing animals over and over and over again? Is it really about a land that will perish? This is where we kind of come back to Matthew 11, Matthew in general. We come into the idea of Advent season. It's about a king and a kingdom. It's about the Son of God being made known and revealing the truth of who God is and his will. If you know God, the one true God, you will be seen Following his son. You'll be seen following the one who holds all things together, but also the one who died for you. Now, just finish this section by giving you a warning. Because it's hinted in the passage, it's not hinted, it's very obvious, why this command is necessary. Why start with, you shall have no other gods before me. And how does um, how does the hymn say it? Prone to wonder. You have a wondering heart. I don't mean wonder as in W-O, not wander. Wander. W-A-N-D-R. You get away from the shepherd. You go and try to find your own path. But not only do you wander away from the shepherd, you try to find false shepherds. Prone, we have a wandering heart. Because we're made to worship. You understand that? You're made to worship. So again, we go back to the reality. It's not if you're going to worship. It's who you're going to worship. So Jesus, or so God says, what does he say? It's just me. It's me. When you feel, when you, or when you revisit those gods of Egypt, or you see the gods of Canaan, it's just me. Come back to me. He gives us these commandments because we will be prone to do what he tells us we shouldn't. Three false gods that we must be aware of today. Number one, money and wealth. Of course, that's always been. But now so much more today, we have preachers and pastors and televangelists who says, if if you have enough faith, you'll have more money and wealth. It's not about money and wealth. Money and wealth is not, well, money and wealth is a god. And, and Jesus was very clear that you cannot serve God and Money and wealth. The second one, probably the most prevalent today in Christians and unbelievers, is to worship the God of self. It is to mimic Satan. 
It is to put yourself in power. I am my own God. I seek my own will, my own way, my own satisfaction. And number three, the God we must stay away from is our made-up Jesus, our made-up God, the selective God we, we pick out in the Scriptures, the one we say, my God would or my God wouldn't. The question is, what does the Scripture say? Who is God? So, now, that can concludes knowing and acknowledging that He is the one true God. And just quickly, we'll spend less time on this point. We must know and acknowledge that He is our God. Now, this one seems a little awkward. If you look at the answer... It says, to know and acknowledge that God is the only true God and our God. Our God. Okay, well, is not Yahweh the God of everyone? Is he not the God of creation? Yes, but there is in a sense in which he is not God to everyone. And the reason this feels weird for us to say this, why this might be awkward is because we lack an understanding of the concept of covenant. We're ignorant when it comes to covenant. See, God's covenanting with Israel in Deuteronomy 7 and even in Exodus 20. He was was connecting with Israel in a special way he was not doing with anyone else. What does he say? I will be your God and you will be my people. Look what verse 6. I am the Lord, your God. God has revealed himself to Israel unlike he has revealed himself to any other people groups of the earth. The Egyptians, many gods. The Canaanites, many gods. Yahweh, hey Israel... It's just me and me only. Look at chapter 6, verse 4. Notice whom the revelation is given. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Who is God speaking to? He's speaking to Israel. God's revealed himself to Israel unlike he's revealed himself to anyone else at this point in time. This is Yahweh's, this is God's MO. It's his way of operating. He's always operated in covenant with Israel. His special particular people. His special particular people are always two things. Created by Him and redeemed by Him. And it is for Himself. Holy, set apart unto Him. This has always been the case and it always will be the case. Flip over to another chapter. Chapter 7. Verse 1. 
Notice the context of Israel among many nations. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mighty than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to a complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them. And show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. But this shall, but this, but thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. What is he saying? Get rid of their gods. And then look at verse 6. Exactly. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Of all the nations of the earth, Israel, I have a special relationship with you. I have a special purpose and calling for you. That's what it means to be holy, set apart. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people, what? For his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. This is a covenant God, a covenant making God. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You were the fewest of all people, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Two things mentioned in that passage, that Israel was created by God. How was Israel created by God? He called Abraham. He said, I will make you a nation. And he did. But then what else did he do to Israel? He redeemed them out of the bonds of Egypt, out of slavery. This is what he has done to bring about this special group of people. The way of God's operation of creating and redeeming a a people special for him continues today, not just in the Old Covenant, but has now continued in the New Covenant. God is still a covenant-making God. It began with Israel and continues today through the church of Jesus Christ. Peter addressed it. We talked about it last Wednesday night. You are a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. It's like Peter read Deuteronomy 7 as he speaks to the church. The pattern of of the operation continues. God covenanting with a people who have been created and redeemed for his own possession. Is this not who and what the church is? Created through the new birth, united together in Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit, redeemed and brought out of slavery of sin by Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb. Church, we must understand we belong to God. We belong to God He is our God now and forever. 
We are created and redeemed in order that we might worship and glorify Him. This is the beauty of God's operation, that He is a covenant-making and keeping God. Now, here is how this concludes with this. The beauty of all of this, of God's mode of operation, the way that He operates in making and keeping covenants with, with the special people, when his covenant people are faithful and obedient when in their lives, when they live lives of worshiping and glorifying him, do you know what happens to the covenant people? They grow. Numerically, they grow. And it begins with the kids. When Christians who are faithful have little ones and they bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, what are we what are we doing? But we're training up little disciples. When we live in a way within the world, the holy nation, the royal priesthood, we live in a way of proclaiming the excellencies of him. The gospel, the gospel. See, God was not satisfied with Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. God was not satisfied with Abraham, so he gave him a nation. God was not satisfied with the nation. He wanted the world. Again, we read Psalm 86. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. All the nations, here it is, all the nations you have made shall come to you. There's no no longer only a sacrifice in the temple for Israel. But the Son of God has come as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God is after the world. Jesus to Nicodemus, what did he say? I've not been sent to condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. God's covenant people is growing and growing as what grows, as what is fulfilled. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Covenant people, go and make disciples. To be a Christian and not be a part of the Great Commission is not desire to see God's covenant people grow. For God's, the knowledge of the glory of God to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. And the supper. What's happening here at this table? The covenant is made known here. Our acknowledgement of this glorious covenant that we've been brought into. What was it sealed by? His blood. An uh, an eternal and secure covenant sealed with the blood of Christ. This table is for those who are God's covenant people. Body broken. Blood shed. This marks out God's covenant people. We are in covenant with Him. 
and also in with one another. So this is an acknowledgement of God covenant making and keeping love. But we also, when we come to the table, we declare visibly the Lord's death and the gospel of his return. When you partake, we are proclaiming the good news that has the power to keep us, but also bring in new members. The gospel is pictured in this. The gospel that's keeping you and the gospel that's growing the church is here. The body and the blood of Christ. And so we come together in one mind of one accord the covenant people of God covered by the blood of Christ and dwelt with the Holy Spirit, remembering until his second advent. His kingdom come and his will be done. And we get to be a part of that. This is the feast of the kingdom. This is the feast that we look to. or we, 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 This is the feast that prepares us for that final feast we will have for all eternity the marriage supper of the lamb and so again this is for god's covenant people in christ only and so we understand that to partake in an unworthy manner is dangerous but i want to i i want i've had this conversation multiple times with multiple people to be a sinner does not make you unworthy of partaking. You understand? Because then who would be worthy? No one. But if you walked in today in unrepentant sin, unwilling to face the truth and confess, you're in denial, perhaps even deception of yourself and others. Repent. Because if you are to continue in that sin unrepentant, then you might be telling God and yourselves and us that you are not in this covenant community. So I call you to repent of your sins, to turn from that which you've been hiding. Declare your your shortcomings and be forgiven. But we come knowing that we have been covered by the blood of Christ and we await his return. Brother Dan.